to the book of Revelation, adults. In Revelation, the book of Revelation. In chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning with verse 20, and then into chapter 4. Praise God. The throne room of the Lord is what we're going to be talking about today. The throne of God and the throne room. Revelation 3. Verse 20, if you have that, say, praise the Lord. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with, the, with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So that promise is not just to the church of Laodicea, but it's to all the churches. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, the door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardin stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your awesome word today. The throne room, O oh God, we stand before you today, your congregation. Worshiping you, Lord Jesus, knowing, God, that you inhabit the praises of your people, that you are enthroned this morning upon that praise. We thank you, God, that we have ascended up, God, before your throne in our worship today. In Jesus' awesome name, anoint us, inspire us, and speak to us in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> There are two things in Jewish scholarship that they say are a great mystery. Number one, the creation of God. And number two, the throne of God. A mystery. A secret. The secret things in the throne. Very, very powerful things. When you come to the throne of God, you come to a very, very place, awesome place of holiness. It's a place really where you want to take your shoes off and bow down because you're standing on holy ground. When you talk about the throne of God, it's very, very awesome. In these passages, the Lord had just gone through Revelation 2 and 3. Chapter 1, we see God revealing himself through the man Christ Jesus. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see God revealing himself through his church. Chapter 4, we see God begin to deal with the nations. But we see God calling the church up to a higher dimension. Okay? He's calling us up to the throne room. Now, some people would have you think 
that when you got filled with the Holy Ghost and got born again, that's everything that you're ever going to get. But the Bible tells us, Jesus writing to the churches here, he gives seven promises to these seven churches, but really they're not promises to the seven churches. They are promises to the overcomers within the churches. Which means the things of God are not automatic. Moving into a dimension of the throne room is not an automatic thing where we already are at right now. It's not automatic. It's only promised to the overcomer. To, to move in the kingdom type operation of God is only for overcomers. Now, there are people here who are born again. They're saved. Amen. But it doesn't mean that we've yet gone to the dimension of the throne of God and are operating in the kingdom because the Bible talks about the gospel of salvation. But it also talks about the gospel of the kingdom. So you can be saved this morning, but not be operating in the kingdom of God. And he wants you to move up into that dimension of the throne, the kingdom of God. Now, if you were to look at the tabernacle of Moses, there were three places. There was the outer court. There was the holy place. And then there's the most holy place where God's throne is. In the outer court, anybody could go to that place, that location. Anybody. But to go into the second dimension, the holy place, in the tent itself, only priests could go in there. You with me here? And then in the temple, to go into the throne room and even the tabernacle of Moses, you had to be a high priest crowned. So it's really, you have to be a king to get in the throne room. Do you understand? And so the Lord has talked to these seven churches. And each one of them, he gives them a promise if they overcome. And all of them are throne room promises if they overcome. Do you understand that so far? That it's not automatic. That there are dimensions in God. There are levels in God. Amen? And so after having talked to these churches here, he then talks about the throne room. And he says in verse 20, he says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. Okay. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So the people who sit in that dimension are the people who are overcomers. They are not just church people. They are overcomers who have moved into a place in the spirit where they're operating in kingdom authority. Where they are reigning in life. Where they're manifesting the one that's sitting on the throne. Amen. And that's where God wants us this morning. He doesn't want us just in the outer court. And you go from the outer court. And what happens out there is all the bloodshed. Okay. And that's a picture of the cross. But, and you go from the outer court, the place of bloodshed, the cross. And that's what gets you into the next dimension, the holy place in the tent. And that's the power of Pentecost. 
because in that holy place the number 50 is prevalent in there which is the number of Pentecost in fact Pente means 50 so you go from Calvary the work of the cross in the outer court that takes you into the most ho or the holy place the power of Pentecost and so some people have got to that place they've been filled with the Holy Ghost they've been filled with the Spirit speaking with other tongues you know they've been to the cross they recognize Jesus work on the cross they've been water baptized at the laver in Jesus name and they go on and receive the Holy Ghost in the second dimension in the holy place they're filled with the Spirit the Bible says though that the Holy Ghost is the earnest of your inheritance it's just the down payment it's just the engagement ring if it's the down payment that means it can't be the end of all things it's only the beginning so when I you know recognized my need of a savior and I went to the cross and experienced his finished work on the cross and by the way it's his finished work then from there I was baptized at that labor in the name of Jesus for the sins to be washed away and I got then I moved from there into the holy place and got filled with the Holy Ghost but that anointing that I now have was only the beginning of things it wasn't the end of things. It was only the beginning. It was only the earnest. It was only the down payment. It was only the engagement ring. And so in Revelation 2 and 3, we see Jesus in the midst of the church in the second dimension. Where the power of Pentecost is located. That's where he was standing. He was standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In the power of Pentecost or in the second room. But then he calls out to this church in the power of Pentecost and he says move from that place that dimension into the throne room dimension the anointing is so that you can move in kingdom operation it's just the start of things not the completion or the fulfillment of things it's based on what Jesus did the finished work of the cross but he's still not finished with us he's finished with his work but he's not finished with his work in us and so yes we're baptized in Jesus name and yes we're filled with the Holy Ghost and yes we've been to the cross but that is only the beginning of what God wants to do and he says you overcomers if you'll overcome you can move into kingdom authority and operation you can represent the throne you can literally uh, demonstrate or manifest my glory in this earth when you talk about the throne of God you're talking about the manifest presence of God you're talking about the glory of God when God manifests himself visibly so God wants to take you by that anointing and by the work of the cross he wants to take you into a place of glory where he is literally manifested where you can see the manifest presence of God and I'm telling you right now that God's going to raise up a people in this hour. Give me a little volume please. They are going to have the glory of God upon their face. 
you're going to see the manifest presence upon their face. And this morning, as I was waking up out of sleep, the Lord spoke to me and he said, he said, my glory is fixing to go in the farms of America. It's going to be like in the days of Obed-Edom, a farmer, when David took up the ark and he placed it in Obed-Edom's house. And God blessed Obed-Edom there with the glory of God. Hallelujah. And his house just kept getting blessed and blessed and blessed. And it was in a farmhouse, basically, that that took place. God said, I'm going to send my people. I'm going to send my ark, not just in a church building, in a church location. But my glory is going to be seen in farmhouses. My glory is going to be seen in barns. My glory is going to be seen in hospitals. My glory is going to be seen at the workplace. My glory is going to be seen upon my people. And that's what he wants. He wants his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom, to be seen or manifest in the earth. That's always been his desire. Is that his kingdom can be seen in this earth. And so he's going to do it through a people who are overcomers. Praise God. I believe that with all of my heart. That the anointing that we have is not everything. But it's taking us to a place where the glory of God's going to be seen on people's face. And as you go through this, and as we look at this throne, it's going to take me weeks to, to preach it. But as you look at this throne, you're going to see the Lamb in the midst of the throne. The Lamb as though it had been slain in the midst of the throne. So what gets you in the throne room is what He did on the cross. And what He did on the cross got you filled with the Holy Ghost. And what he did on the cross got you into the most holy place. Come on. Because he's standing in the midst of the throne. But when you look at Revelation 14, he is not seen standing as a lamb slain. He is seen as the Son of God standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000 around him. Now, those people have gone up in that dimension, the glory room, and now God is manifesting himself in and through them now. He's not just in the midst of us by the cross, but he's going to be standing up through you and manifesting himself through you with his glory and his power. This world has never seen what God is about to do in the earth. But he's going to do it through the overcomers. He's going to do it through his people. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. So he wants you to come up in a kingdom type move. He wants you to, to grow up. When he says come up, he's literally saying grow up in him or into him which is the head. The throne is where his head's located. He don't want you just in the outer court where his feet's located. He don't want you just in the holy place. Come on, somebody. Where his hands are located and his heart's located. He wants you in the most holy place where his head is located. And by the way, did you know? Did you know that the brain that's right up here in your head is fashioned after the most holy place? It's fashioned after the throne of God. God's throne had cherubim looking down on that throne, one on each side. 
and the high priest of the king of glory sitting in the midst of it. You've got a right brain and a left brain and in the middle of it you've got a gland that controls all of your body which represents the high priest. So God wants you to get in a headship operation not just a feed operation but a headship operation where he can manifest his glory in and through you in this earth. When I talk about going to glory, I'm not talking about getting buried six feet under. I can get to glory right now. God wants to manifest his spirit in a visible way right now. But the problem is right here in your mind. And we'll talk about that. Praise God. He wants to manifest the throne right up here. But it's in him. Going up in, into him, which is the head. So God is saying come up to the church he's saying grow up into the church overcome so that you can sit with me in my throne it's only the overcomers that sit with him in that dimension you might be in the church in the second dimension but you're not in the throne room unless you're an overcomer and he says not only that he said, not only will I let you sit with me in my throne so that you can be one in kingdom operation, so that I can manifest myself through you, so that you can be like Esther manifesting the king royal and not a Vesta who refused to, to come forth when the king asked her to come forth. I want you to know today, I want to wear the crown royal. I want to manifest the king of glory. I don't want to be a Vesta who says no. I don't want to be a harlot that says no, but I want to be an Esther that manifests the king royal so only to overcomers does he write this message and he says to the overcomer grow up or come up walk through that door right there hallelujah give God some praise and not only that do you understand me so far I'm trying to make this simple where you can understand he also says to the overcomer, he said, if you'll open the door, I will come into you and sup with you and you with me. He said, we're going to have supper together. And in case you don't know it, you know, supper is the third meal of the day. He don't just have breakfast with you. He don't just have lunch with you in the second dimension. He wants you to operate in the third room dimension where there is a supper that takes place. Now sit down, with, sit down for just a moment, okay? Let me talk to you about this. This sitting with him in the throne and having a supper with him. It's a picture of fellowship and relationship. It's a picture of intimacy that he wants to take his church. Come on, somebody. When you talk about this great supper, and it is a great supper because we're in the most holy place. Amen. When you talk about the great supper, Remember in your Bible how the Bible talks about that there was a marriage feast that was given? A great supper that was given? And invitations went out for people to come and attend that supper. Do you remember that? And people began to make excuses as to why they would not or could not attend that supper. Come on, are you with me? It was the king's supper. I said it was the king's supper kingdom supper one said this hang on here with me one said this hallelujah give God praise 
I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I can't go to that supper because I just bought five yoke of oxen. You know who that person is? That person that won't go to the supper because they are focused on their ministry. Because the ox speaks of ministry. All they're looking for is a place of ministry. God says this, I don't want you just to have a ministry. I want to take you in the most holy place. Where I can manifest my glory and give a supper to you. But if all you're after is five yoke of oxen. If all you're after is a fivefold ministry in your life. If all you're looking for is a ministry that you can, you know, exalt yourself in, then you'll never get to that supper because that is an excuse. Well, I'm content with my ministry. And for me to stand up and preach to my church that there's something beyond where they are now might cost me my ministry. But I don't care if it costs me my ministry because I'm after something much more than a ministry. I'm after the glory of God. I'm after the presence of God in my life. Give me a little monitor, brother, please. Hallelujah. Give God praise. If all you're looking for is powerful ministry, friend, you know where that is? That's in the second dimension. That's in church. But I want something more than that. I want a supper. I want an intimate relationship with God. I want fellowship and manifestation of God. Amen. 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 It's not my ministry anyway. It's his ministry. So I'm not going to use the excuse. Well, I've got my ministry. And I'm content with the church. I'm, you know, I'm pastoring. And I'm content where we are. No, 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 no. There's something much more than ministry. And as your shepherd, I'm going to tell you this. If we ever get to a place where we have the fivefold ministry represented in this house. And I'm talking about placed eldership. I'm talking about recognized men who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are placed in an eldership over this church. Don't ever look at that and say, boy, we've arrived. And I believe that God does want us to have a fivefold ministry represented in this house. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers represented right here in the midst of this place. I believe that with all of my heart. But that's not even my goal. My goal is the glory of God in the house. My goal is the supper, fellowship, and intimacy with Jesus in a throne room kingdom operation. Fivefold ministry. You know why fivefold ministry are given? For the perfecting of the saints. Perfection is what we're talking about, most holy place. Fivefold ministry is to take the church into a place of perfection. It's to take the church into a place of headship. It's to take the church into the throne room. It's not just so we can have, you know, icons sitting on a platform. I grow so weary with parading flesh on a platform. I grow so weary with parading men and egos. You can't manage an ego. 
And most churches today, they're excited because they're parading egos on their platform. Uh, that's all it is. It's an ego. But there's something much more than parading flesh on your platform. And that is the glory of God would be manifest in our midst. And so the man said, well, I got five yoke of oxen. I can't come. I just bought how are you with me today and many churches today said boy they really think they really got it going they really think they got it going because they got big people big names paraded on their platform they think they really got it happening I want that's all fine and good in its right place but the place is that fivefold ministry is to call up people to just what Jesus said come up here grow up in him into him which is the head is to call a people to a place of perfection. Not just to have ministries and programs and all that stuff. That's all fine and good in its place. But I tell you what I'm after. I'm after the glory of God in this city. And I believe that God through a people is going to manifest his glory. That's going to reach the nations of this world. I believe with all my heart. And you know, some preachers, they get to a place where they've got enough income and they get satisfied and they get content with that income and they don't want to shake up the house. They don't want to stir anything up. They don't want to tell their people that, hey, come on, let's go. I got news for you today. I don't preach for an income. Thank God for the income. Thank God for the provision. But I tell you what I'm after and that's the glory of God in this house. And then another man invited to this great supper says, I bought a field and I can't come. I bought a field. I got news for you. You know what? You know what Naomi said to Ruth concerning Boaz's field? Don't go into any other man's field. Ruth, you stay right in the field of Boaz. She starts out laying at his feet. But before it's all over, she's married to him. I would rather marry the man who owns the, old, the whole field than just to have the field itself. Give me Jesus. Give me a relationship. Give me intimacy. Take me beyond the feet to a place that I married him. So no, Amos, Naomi said to Ruth, don't go in the other field. You stay in the field that you are. And if you'll stay in the field that you are, you'll get married to him. Hallelujah. And by the way, he is your kinsman redeemer. <laughs> and so she wouldn't go into any other man's field. Because you know what? She wasn't just after the gleanings in the outer court. She wasn't just after the corners of the field. She laid at his feet. Come on, somebody. But she wasn't just after that. Come on. She received handfuls on purpose, which is a picture of the power of Pentecost. But she wasn't satisfied with the handfuls on purpose. She wasn't satisfied with the outer court gleanings. She wasn't satisfied with handfuls on purpose, the power of Pentecost. She said, I want to marry this man. I want to give God some praise. 
I want to move up in the highest place you can get. And that's relationship. I want to set at his table every day. I want to feast with that man. Give God some praise in the house. Don't change fields, man. Marry the one who owns the whole field. Don't be the kind of person that's always just looking for God to bless them. Always looking for God to give them something. Be the person who wants God. Be the person who wants an intimate relationship that glory can be seen on you. Don't be satisfied with the gleanings on the corners of the field that are for the poor. Don't be satisfied with handfuls on purpose, the power of Pentecost. Go in, go beyond Passover and Pentecost and get into tabernacles. Get in where the glory of God is. Get into a place of intimacy. Get into kingdom operation. Get into a place of relationship with him. Being married to him and joined to him. And then from there, grow up and become a son. Go beyond a woman and become a son. I'll explain that to you as we go along. Are you getting the point? But don't change your fields. And don't get focused on just ministry. Woo! Get focused on glory. <laughs> Third person comes up. And they got an excuse. They said, we have married a wife. We got married today. And I can't come to your feast. Are you here? See, what that's showing you is this. Is that there are some people who are married to the wrong things other than God. I'm married. I've married a wife and I can't go. I can't take the invitation to go to the King's Supper. Because you know what? I married something that I wasn't supposed to marry. I'm not talking about physically here. I'm not talking about man and wife like we had this morning. So I'm talking about the spiritual things here. I've married a wife and can't come. What in the world does that mean? Well, they're, they're so focused on their covenants. Covenants with people and things instead of God himself. They're more focused about their denominationalism than they are having a relationship with the king. This is not about denominationalism. This is not about the things of men. This is about God and his kingdom. I'm married to a wife. I'm part of a denomination. I can't start preaching things like that. I can't go with the anointing like that. You better go with the anointing. You better seek the glory of God. Because I'm telling you, to marry a woman, and a woman is a picture of the church, is to, come on, and, and it says you can't go up and can't experience the glory of God in the throne room, is that you're married to the wrong woman. <laughs> Give God some praise. If you study the book of Revelation, you're going to see that the Christ of God has enemies. Nations are his enemies. Communism, how many of us say, yeah, communism is against Christianity. You lift your hand. You believe that. Communism fights Christianity. All over the world today, some of your brothers and sisters are being persecuted. Some of them beheaded for their faith. So those nations are the enemy of Christ. Communistic systems and governments of men. All right? 
But nations are not just communist nations who war against the Christ of God. Imaginations war against the Christ of God. Denominations war against the Christ of God. In fact, you know what denomination means? Denomination means divided number of the people. God was never in it. God was never in it. Give God some praise. He was never in dividing and numbering the nations. The nation, in fact, David, a plague hit his people because they divided and numbered the nations. I tell you what God is in. He is in organism. And biblical organization, but not denomination, imagination, because those fight the Christ of God. They fight the move of God. Come on, give God some praise. And so to be married to a woman and say, I can't go to the supper, is to be married to nations. Political nations. Economical nations. Religious nations. Imaginations. Condemnation. Who are you married to today? I'm married to Jesus. I'm married to Jesus. There's nobody. I'm not married. I'm not in a covenant with something that's going to keep me from going all the way with Jesus. I'm not a part of an old order system. I'm a part of a new day in God. And so those are excuses that people make today. Five, five yoke of oxen. Got my ministry. That's what I've been looking for. That's all, I, that's all my goal is. I bought a field. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I don't want just the field. I don't want the gleanings. I don't want the handfuls on purpose. I want to be married to the one who owns the field. I married a woman. I'm in covenant with the wrong thing. And because I'm in covenant with the wrong thing, then I have an allegiance to that. And because I've got an allegiance to that, I can't go on into the glory. Those are excuses that keep you out of a place called a great supper. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Give God some praise here today. I'm after the glory of God. He's an awesome God. So Jesus wants to sup with you. He wants you to move in glory. He wants a relationship with you. He don't want to share you with another woman. Praise God. He don't want to share you with another man. In fact, he won't share you. I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll say, come out from Babylon and be you separate. Come out of that system of Babylon that is against the Christ and his God. Christ and God. The Christ of God. Of course, he is God. He said, come out of Babylon and be ye separate. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you this morning? Come up. And he says it to the overcomer. Now, sit down, sit down. He talked to these seven churches. He talked about their condition. Their spiritual condition. He showed them the good that was in them. And the bad that was in them. Come on. And 
after Revelation 2 and 3, after talking to them about their condition spiritually, and I'm going to go through them again real quickly. I don't have time to re-preach them all to you. But he said, after everything I've just told you in Revelation 2 and 3, I've told the church. When you respond to what I just told you in Revelation 2 and 3, then you can come up. But if you don't respond to what I said in Revelation 2 and 3, you can never come up in that place because you'll never overcome. And only to the overcome, or does he promise the things of the most holy place. Give God some praise. You have to respond to what he said in Revelation 2 and 3 to get in that dimension. The first church, Ephesus. Ephesus means to let go. It means also to relax. They had lost their first love. They had started relaxing. Lost their first love. But the word Ephesus can also mean desirable. Come on. It's to the church of Ephesus that he says, come up. It's to the church of Ephesus that he says, grow up. Watch this. Watch this. This church of Ephesus was really the center of the other churches. The other seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, they were in a circle, a semi-circle shape. And Ephesus was the main church. It was like the mother church. So that what God said to Ephesus was most important. That's why he put Ephesus first. And these churches represent spiritual conditions in churches and in individuals throughout history, throughout the church age. So today, in us, among us, there are individuals, and this church possibly as a whole, who have the spiritual condition of one of these seven churches and what God does is in each one of these seven churches he first starts out by telling them something about himself before he ever starts talking about their failures because he wants to wants them to know if they get a revelation of him if they see him for what he should be in their life they can overcome that and if they overcome that then they can go up into the throne room so he first shows to them something about himself. Then he talks about their condition spiritually. Ephesus is the first one. I don't have time to do all these churches uh, all the way. But I'm going to do the first one because she is most important. She is central. All right. Watch this. To the church of Ephesus, the Bible says, right, you're desirable to me. You've got your problems. You're not yet to a place of perfection. You're not yet to a place of headship. You haven't grown up into him yet. You haven't arrived there yet. But you can overcome and get there. But before you can get there, I've got to talk to you about me so you can see me. And then I've got to talk to you about what keeps you from getting there. Yes, God. Hallelujah. And if you will repent of what is keeping you from getting there, then you can get there if you overcome. So Ephesus, 
You got your problems, but you're desirable to me. Go to Psalm 132. <coughs> Psalm 132. Watch this. Does this make any sense to you? The things that keep you from getting there. Excuses we talked about now. Let's talk about conditions, spiritual conditions. Psalm 132. Is anybody, you understand what I'm trying to show you here? Praise God. I feel good all over. Brother Dice said, I feel good all over and better than, better any, better than I do anywhere else. I still don't know what that means. But I feel good all over and better than I do anywhere else. You know what that means? That means there's liberty for me to preach today. There's nothing stopping. There's nothing stopping the will. There's nothing stopping the flow. And there's no hindrances. Psalm 132. Watch this. Verse 10. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Hallelujah. Of the fruit of the body will I set upon thy throne. God said, I'm going to put the fruit of your body upon the throne. Now watch this. Watch this. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony, that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forever. And to the church, he said, he said, if you overcome, I'll let you come and sit on my throne with me. This promise is to you, church. It's not just to the natural seed of David, but it's to the church of the living God. If you'll keep his covenant, he'll raise you up higher than you thought you could ever go. this if thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them and their children also shall also sit upon the, thy throne forevermore for the Lord hath chosen Zion Zion is that most holy place dimension in God the Lord hath chosen Zion he hath desired it for his habitation he don't want to just visit us. He wants to inhabit us. God's not just looking for a visitation where he visits you on Sunday. He wants to inhabit you every day of the week. He said, I've chosen Zion for my habitation. He said, I've desired her. Same thing that Ephesus means. What he's promising is this. To those that are desired by him, he's saying, I'm going to give you a throne. I'm going to take you to a high place. And that's what he's promising to the churches. Or I should say to those that are overcomers within the church. Those who refuse to stop until they see his glory. Those who refuse to stop. Hosea said it this way. There's going to come a time when we will know those that go on to follow after the Lord. These are people who can't get enough of Jesus. These are people who follow after the Lord. These are people who follow God whithersoever he goeth. He can take him into a wilderness. He can take him to a cross. He can take him through hardship. But they will follow him wherever he goes because they are Zion. 
I don't want none of this cold, dry, dead religion stuff. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm at to the power of Pentecost, and from there the glory of God Almighty. And if you'll listen to his teaching, then you will sit on the throne of the living God. You will manifest the throne. You will manifest his kingdom. He will use you in powerful operations. He's raising up. He's setting the stage right now. He's raising up in the world a people that will manifest his glory. And it's that that he desires. Zion. Are you here? So going back to the churches, he promised them the throne just like he did there in Psalm 132. <clears throat> he said to the church of Ephesus, the desired one, he says, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He said the first thing, and every church has this pattern. That's why I'm giving you this one. Every church has this pattern. He says, this is who I am, but this is what you've missed. I am the one, he said, who has the seven stars in my right hand. Let me explain it to you. When you talk about the seven stars, you're talking about the ministry of God. And you're talking about a sevenfold operation of God's spirit. Isaiah 11 verse 2 talks about a sevenfold working. It's the wisdom of God. But let me bring it down to your level, okay? Because I think these seven stars, seven angels, are much more than just seven pastors in seven local churches. I believe they are the manifestation of the Spirit of God in a sevenfold way. Now watch this. And he says, I'm the one that's got the seven stars in my hand. But let me bring it down to you. What he's saying is, you are in his authority. You are in his control. He's got it under control. Why does he have your life in control? Because he desires you. Do you deserve it? No. Do I deserve it? No. But because he desires me. He desires to be intimate with me. He desires to take me beyond the veil. He desires to take me into the secret chamber. He desires to make love with me in the secret chamber of the Most High God. That's why he's got it all under control. Everything that has happened to you or ever will happen to you, as long as you are walking in his purpose and then step out and choose what he hasn't chosen and caused yourself trouble. But as long as you're walking in his purpose, he desires you. And even if you step out, he still desires you. Even if you missed it, he still desires you. Give God some praise. We've all missed it at times. But he still desires us. And he still wants to take us up to that high place. He wants you to know it's all under control. Even if you missed it, it's still under control. Even if you're right on, he's still in control. Can I tell you something? He orders your steps. The psalmist says, he orders my steps. Do you know what the word order literally means? That he prearranges my steps. He prearranges my steps, both good and bad. What I think is bad, he prearranged it. I'm in a wilderness right now, but he prearranged the wilderness to get me back into his purpose. 
He prearranged my will. Listen, he prearranged my wilderness so I could go into the most holy place called the promised land. He prearranged my steps to get there. You need to understand that it's not the good things that in your life that are just prearranged by God. He orders your step and prearranged steps for even the negative things that come to you. You know why? Because he's got to shake us. He's got to, he's got to mold us. He's got to make us into a people in his image. You're not in his image yet. Paul said, I pray that you be conformed to the image of Christ. I'm not there yet. If I were there, I would already be there. Come on, somebody. In the spirit I am, in a sense. But I still have to overcome to get there in reality. But he desires me. And he desires you. And he's prearranged or ordered my steps. Negative and positively. There's two hands of God. Right hand and left hand of God. The right hand is the blessings. The left hand of God is his judgment. You can't have a one-handed God. You, see, some, you know, I'll tell you another thing. You got a, some of you got a problem with jealousy. Some of you are jealous. That's something you're going to have to get out of you is jealousy. You're going to have to get rid of jealousy. Because if you don't get rid of jealousy, you'll never be used by God. The person you're married to will never be used by God because you're consumed by jealousy. You better break out of that. You need to get a hold of Jesus in your life. <clears throat> He's prearranged our steps, man. If I'm getting his blessing, that's his right hand. But I don't have a one-armed Jesus. He's got a left hand too. He said, put the goats on my left hand, the sheep on my right hand. I got news for you. You can't pick and choose what hands you want. You got to say, okay, God, if you want to give me from your right hand, thank God. But if you want to come and bring judgment in my life, I'm going to receive from the hand of the Lord God even his judgment. You can't pick and choose what you want in this. If you do, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. I can't pick and choose. I have to submit to the will of God in my life. To his right hand and to his left hand. David said. The Lord is ever on my right hand. He talked about his blessings. His goodness. And then the Bible says. Babylon hath been a golden cup. Not in the right hand of the Lord. But Babylon hath been a golden cup in the hand of the Lord. God said, I'm going to judge Babylon. you got to have both arms, right and left hand. You can't just pick one. Let me share something with you, church. This corrective word that God brings, he says, if I says, no, you are desired. But I've got to bring a corrective word to you. I've I got to give you my right hand, but I've got to give you my left hand also. Because for you to understand this is extremely important. There are church people, yes, church people, but they're not sons. And that's where we're headed is. We're headed into intimacy, relationship, in a wife type of relationship, and beyond that into sonship or a corporate full-grown man in the image of Christ. That's where we're headed. And if you can't take correction, you are bastards and not sons. You're a church member, but that's all. 
The only way that you can recognize true sons is that they're willing to receive correction. If they're not willing to receive correction, they're just church people. I don't want to be a bastard. I want to be a son. I want to receive the correction of God. Something from his right hand, yes. But something from his head, left hand, yes. Because I want to be a son. I don't want to be just a church person. I want to come up. I want to grow up in him. I want to manifest Jesus in this life. And so he brings a, a word of encouragement. At the same time, he brings a word of correction. And if you want to get to the place of the throne, you've got to receive both. Give God some praise. <coughs> oh, God's good. So he said, you're desired. And remember this, he said, I've got everything under control. It's in my hands. And what you have missed is this, that I'm walking in the midst of you. You don't recognize me because your love has grown dim. And if you do see me in the house, it's just vaguely. And it's just dimly because you've lost your first love. You can't see me anymore. So I've got to tell you, Ephesus, I desire you. I want to take you into the highest place. I desire you, man. I'm after you, Ephesus. Give God some praise. And I've got to tell you that I got everything under control. And I got to tell you. That I'm walking in your midst so hopefully you can see me again. Because you have lost sight of me. You have lost your first love. Isn't that awesome? If there's anybody in here like Ephesus, you're desired by God. He wants you bad. And he tells you today everything's under control. And he's walking in the midst of you. Can you see him? Or is it just a vague, dim reflection of what he used to be to you. Give God some praise. Then he says, I know thy works. There's good works and bad works. There's works that bring life and works that bring death. And God knows about both of them. There are things that I can do in my life that are bad works that will bring death to me. There are things in my life that I can do that bring life to me. Decisions that I make that will bring life to me. Those are good works. He knows all of them. Hello, somebody. He said, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And by the way, they need patience and you need patience. He said, I know your works, good and bad. I know your labor. I know how you're serving me. I know how you're working for me. But see, I don't want you just working for me. I don't want you just serving me. I don't want you just laboring for me. I want a relationship with you. I desire you so I can take you in a place of manifestation of my glory. I'm going to take you to the high throne of David and set you and your children there. If you'll listen to my word and if you'll listen to my teaching and you'll receive my correction. Are you here? Watch. He said, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. Yeah, that's good. These are good things. They're not bad things. They're good things. But he's saying, oh, there's more to it than this. Hallelujah. I know your patience. See, because you're in the midst of a situation where you got false apostles. Oh, yeah. You tried false apostles and found them to be liars. Church, you have to be patient to test false apostles. You have to be patient to test false doctrine. You have to be patient 
if you're not where you want to be in God, you have to be patient for Him to do His work in you. You can't say, okay, God, where are you? Why didn't you come and help me? You have to learn to be patient. You have to learn to persevere. You have to learn to endure whenever it doesn't happen like you want it to happen. You've got to have patience. You have to learn to wait. Learn to wait. Learn to wait. Abraham had to wait for a son called Isaac. Isaac had to wait for Rebekah. Jacob had to wait for Rachel. Joseph had to wait for his deliverance. Joseph had to wait for his enthronement. David had to wait. And be prepared by God. Before he could ever sit on a throne. You have to learn to wait. You have to learn to have patience. You have need of patience that after you've done the work. After you've done the will of God. You might receive the promise. Just because it don't happen overnight. You got to learn to wait. You got to learn to be patient. Come on somebody. I'm waiting on God because I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet to that place. God's calling me up. I'm not preaching to you like I'm there. I'm telling you God's calling me there. And because he's calling me there, he's calling you there. And because it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean I'm going to quit. I've got to have patience and wait. I'm going to wait. To get the sonship of Abraham. I'm going to wait to get the matrimony of Rachel and Rebecca. I'm going to wait to get the throne like Joseph. I'm going to wait to get in a throne like David. I'm going to wait. I can't wait. I can't say, okay, God, well, you didn't do it for me today, so forget you. Are you crazy? Are you funny? Are you silly? You've got patience. You've learned to wait. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast tried them that say they are apostles and are not. You have to have patience to do that. You can't discern it immediately overnight. You got to wait. You got to see with time what a person's really all about. You've tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. Can I tell you something right now? False apostles are always going to say they're apostles. True apostles and true prophets and true evangelists and true, true pastors and true teachers don't have to say very rarely that they are that because they're not false. False apostles always declare their apostleship. They say they are apostles and are not. Give God some praise. And you have to have patience to see over time if they're true men of God or not. Just because they say it doesn't mean they are. And just because they've got a card in their wallet doesn't mean they are. That means nothing to God. Absolutely nothing to God. Nothing to God. Nothing. It means something to men. But it means nothing to God. They say they're apostles and are not. And you found them to be liars. 
you got to be careful, church. Everybody gets up behind a pulpit and says they're called to preach, or they're apostles, or prophets, or evangelists, and pastors. you got to be careful, man. They just because they say they are don't mean they are. So God's commending these people, at least they have their ability to discern and recognize true apostleship. Why are you looking at me like that? Lay hands on your neighbor right now. Pray them through. Good. Now I'm talking about everybody. Thank you. I can get up here all day long. Tell you I'm a great apostle, great prophet, you know, all that junk. I can tell you, friend, it's not in the title. It's in the move of God. And I think that we do need to recognize those that labor among us. And we can discern what kind of call they have on their life. But there are those that say they are and are nothing. They are liars. They have no anointing. Their heart's not for Jesus. They're good businessmen. They're good administrators. They could be CEOs of business companies. But they don't have an anointing of God on their life. They have seen nothing. Nothing. And America is flooded with them. It's inundated with them. They're everywhere. Why'd you get quiet on me? Y'all think I'm false? <laughs> uh, oh, is that why you got quiet? Oh, okay. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Watch this. They have tried them. You got to put them to the test, man. You don't just go blind in this thing. Open your eyes, man. I don't walk into things blind. I walk in things with my eyes open, man. I test things. Are you with me today? Are you with God? I don't care if you're with me, but are you with God today? <laughs> Hallelujah. You, and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You didn't quit. You didn't quit. He's commending. Come on. Some of you felt like quitting. Some of you felt like giving up. But you didn't quit. He's commending them for these things. You know what God said? He said, I'd rather have a son that said no to my commands. And then went away and repented and came back and did them. Than somebody, than a son that said, yes, I'll do it. And went away and did not do it. And so will I say the same thing. I'd rather have a son who said no, went away and came back and did the will of God than somebody who said yes and did nothing with it. To God be the glory, praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Because I guarantee the son that said no and went and did it, okay, I guarantee you, when they do come back, they're going to be full of power, full of glory, full of vision, full of wanting to do something for God. I test the situation. Watch this. Nevertheless, now I've got to bring my corrective side here. Nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. 
Now watch this. We're talking about the highest level right now. The highest level in God. First means highest. First doesn't mean infantile love. First doesn't mean going back to the love that you had when you were born. That's infantile love. You had a passion. You had a love. You had an excitement for Jesus when you first came in. That, you know, uh, all good feelings and everything. But you've matured and you've grown in him and in his love. And you, you look at your situation. You think, boy, I, wish, I need to go back when I was first born. You know, and that's sometimes the way I've interpreted this, looking at this, just on the surface. But what he's telling you is go for the highest love. Go for the word first is the Greek word, which means supreme. It means the crowning love. It's throne room love. It's highest level of love. You've left, left your first love. You used to pursue it. You used to be after the highest. Mm. But now you don't have that. You're not going after the highest love. You're not going after the chief, supreme, crown type of love. Are you with me today? Give God some praise. <coughs> what is the focus of your life? The focus of your life is what you love the most. What you do the most, where you go the most, is what you love the most. It's the chief thing to you. If Jesus is the highest love of your life, the chiefest love of your life, supreme love in your life, then your whole life is about him. And you can't get enough of him. He is seen here in this chapter in the center of 24 elders. Which means he has to be in the center of your life. If you ever put something else in the center of your life, money, there will be the colliding of planets in your life. If you put a business as the center of your life, there will be the colliding of planets in your life. He has to be the center of your life. What am I talking about? There was a long time when people didn't know what the center of our universe was. They thought the earth was the center of the universe. But they found out that the sun is the center of the universe and everything else rotated around it. If Jesus is not the center of your universe, if you make something else the center of your universe, your first love, then what's going to happen is going to be the colliding of planets in your life. He must be first love. He must be the center of the eldership. He must be the center of the priesthood. He has to be. If he's not, you've left your first love. You study the Song of Solomon, it parallels this chapter right here in, in, the, in the book of Revelation. Because he's talking about intimacy and relationship. You study the Song of Solomon. You know what she did? There was a king by the name of Solomon that tried to woo her. That can be interpreted two ways, and I can preach it two ways. Because Solomon is a dual type. He's a type of the man of the world, 666, and he's a type of Jesus Christ, the King of glory. He's a type of the body of Christ also. I could preach it both ways. But let me show it to you this way. Solomon, who's a type of the man of the world. Hello? Had a harem 
a lot of wives. 700 wives, 300 concubines, a lot of women. Jesus only has one bride. He don't have a lot of women. Listen to what I'm saying. He's only got one bride. And Solomon went out and tried to woo this Shulamite woman, this Shulamite girl. She had been out in the vineyards and she had worked and her skin was all black and dark because she'd been out there laboring in the fields. And Solomon comes riding by one day. He looks over there at that, that young girl and he's smitten. Oh, don't, don't get quiet on me right now. Hey, I'm a man of God, but I got passion. Hallelujah. <laughs> he, I'm probably too much passion. Hallelujah. He's smitten. And he tries to woo her. He grabs her up, takes her over into the harem of Solomon. These women, man, they're, they got it all going, man. They got the latest fashions and the latest eye care and the latest all that stuff. Hallelujah. They're married to the man of the world and they are the women of the world. And Solomon wants to make that Shulamite just like the rest of his harem. But she says, I've got a shepherd. my beloved and my beloved is mine I've got a shepherd you took me away from my shepherd but you know what I will not lose my love for my shepherd you can offer me everything the world has to offer you can offer me this harem lifestyle but you can't help me because I love my shepherd He's my beloved. I'll refuse to leave my first love. I love my shepherd. And the daughters of Jerusalem say, What is thy, thy love more than any other? That's what the religious world says. The religious institutions. What is thy, what, Jesus? What, you know, why do you get so excited? Why are you so passionate about him? Why don't you let the man of the world, the Antichrist, seduce you into his ways? Because I love my shepherd. Give God some praise. <clears throat> you have to have a desire for him. You have to have a desire for the highest level of love and commitment and relationship. God's good, isn't he? I said, God's good, isn't he? She said, I'm not going to leave my first love. That's my shepherd. Yeah, come on. Come on. You got to love Jesus. Can I tell you something? You know why Michael had a problem with David? Because David loved God more than he loved her. And she couldn't handle that. She was jealous that David loved God more than he loved her. And so when David danced and worshipped, she looked out of her window and said, How fool you've acted today, David. You're a king getting up there dancing like that, acting like a fool. David said, You ain't seen nothing yet. 
And guess what? Michael became barren. She's the daughter of a king, has royal blood flowing in her veins, but she became barren because she despised the love of David for his God. There's nothing or nobody that, that can replace your God. If you love your wife more than you love your God, you're out of line. If you love your husband more than you love your God, you're out of line. He has to be the high love, the supreme love, the crowded love of your life. He has to be it. And, and Michael could not stand it. It ate her lunch. That David loved his God more than he loved her. You can't control a man like that. You can't control a man like that. You can't control David. He said, you know what? I don't, I'm not listening to you, honey child. You ain't seen nothing yet. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't back down and say, well, bless your little heart. Okay, I won't do it anymore, honey. You little wimp, you. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. You thought I danced today. You ain't seen nothing yet. You wait till you see me dance again. You little. Thank God David was a man, not a wimp. And say, well, honey, okay, whatever you want. Oh, man, in the name of Jesus, you ain't seen nothing yet. She had a jealousy problem and became barren because of it. All right, God, I'll tell them. I want to tell all you people who are called in ministry or called a preacher, whatever you're called to do. If that man is called in ministry, you cannot carry jealousy in your heart or he will never be used in ministry. You know why? Come up here, Brother Jonathan. Sister Nicole, she's got it together, so I don't have to worry about nothing. Whenever Brother Jonathan really ties the knot, he preaches an awesome message. See, Brother Dice used to tell us this. It, 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 this part's coming from Brother Dice. He said, those, those women in that church, they'll come around, oh, oh, praise God, you're so good. Oh, I cried, cried, oh, thank you for preaching the word of the Lord. And all these women are coming around, Brother Jonathan. And if he's got a jealous wife, she's got her eyebrow lifted the whole time. And you know, and behind the scenes, the women will be talking about Brother John. Oh, he's such an awesome man, God. And she just happens to overhear it because God ordained it so. <laughs> just as she's walking by. Oh, he's a man of God. Maybe someday I'll have a man of God like that. And all her ears go, woo. They grow about five times bigger. Eyes get big. They're after my man. <laughs> you can't have jealousy. But see, that was Michael's problem. It's an awesome man of God. The women sing the praises of David. Saul has killed his thousand. David has killed his ten thousand. The women sang about it in the streets. But see, David loved his God more than he loved his wife. You have to. I said, you have to. Give God some praise. Now I've got to come to a close here. 
he goes on in down, down here and he says, see, they left their first love. Man, go for the highest level of love. Go for the throne room, man. Go for it. Yes, people are going to get jealous about it. Yes, see, when people look at your neighbor and say, when I get blessed, you're going to get mad. Thank you. Just remember that. When you get blessed, you're going to make people mad. They, you think they want you anointed? You think they're going to ooh and I say, oh, how anointed. Oh, I'm so glad you're. They don't, they don't want you anointed, man. They're jealous of that. My heart's beating fast. But I'm anointed right now. I'm anointed right now. And I praise God for it. Ephesus, you've got to overcome this spiritual condition in your life. If you're ever going to get in the throne room and manifest my glory, you've got to go back and get your first love. You've got to repent to do the first works. Doesn't mean go back to infantile love. He's telling them to go to the highest level of love. Highest level is throne room dimension. Now watch this. Is this too, too, too powerful for you? <laughs> I'm just preaching the word of God. He said this. Or else I'll come and leave quickly. He said if you repent and do the first word. This is what you've got to change. This is the spiritual condition that you've got to change in order for you to get there. You'll never get there if you don't repent of the low life. If you're content with the low life, you'll never get to the high love. You've got to change your spiritual direction from where you are so you can get where you want to go. And that's the throne room. Praise God. Well, if this ain't doing nothing for you, come tonight, brother, brother, uh, woman, thou art loose is going to turn the house upside down. <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. Looking good, by the way. I like that. I couldn't get away with it, though. He said, I will come on thee quickly. What does that mean? He said, I'm going to come in judgment. See, he's sitting on the throne here. It's a place of intimacy for the believer, but it's a place of judgment for those who are not willing to repent and move into that place of blessing. And next week I'll talk about that, all right? And I'll talk about its ultimate fulfillment. Because when Jesus, when we're caught up there in Revelation 4, that's not pre-tribulation rapture. Uh-oh, you got quiet on me. I'll prove it to you next week. I'll prove it to you next week. I've already showed you Revelation 2 and 3 that these churches are in the tribulation period. I've already showed you the words coming. Urkomai. I've already showed you the churches are in there. Some people don't think these churches are for us today. But these churches are for us today. They are telling us to overcome. They're telling a church that's going to go through a seven year tribulation period how to overcome. They're telling them to get ready for the kingdom of God in an ultimate sense. Oh, show the He said, I'm going to come. He said, I'm going to come. And he's coming in judgment. He's coming in judgment, man. Judgment begins at the 
house of God. He said, I'll remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. This is the only church he says that to. Removing the candlestick. Which means he's taking the anointing away. He's taking the light away. He's taking the witness away. He's taking the power away. He, his presence, is walking out of the house. I preached not long ago when Jesus walks out of the house. When Jesus walks out of the church. And that's exactly what he says is going to happen. You're going to lose your anointing, your light, your power, your witness, my presence. He's going to leave. And guess what? He did. And the church of Ephesus in Turkey became a church that no longer exists. Thank you. A church that no longer exists that was inundated by Islam. They ceased to be a church. All that's left today is ruins. God judged it. Took the candle out. He took their anointing. He took their light. He took it. Praise God. Amen. But this thou hast, hast the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I talked about that false church system. Which I so I hate. There are things that God hates. Anything that will affect your love with God, He hates. Anything that will destroy what you love, you hate. He hates what destroys his, what he loves. He hates the deeds of the, the, the doctrine of the declared. Deeds of the declared. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. Well, I give to you the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And every one of those churches are set up just like that. He reveals aspect of himself. Then he talks to them about them and corrects them and, and commends them. And then he talks about where they're going to go if they will overcome. Every one of them. And they're all most holy place promises. The tree of life is found in the most holy place. How do I know? Because Aaron's rod... That budded was placed into the ark. The tree of life. Now cause you walk in the midst of the paradise of God. That's the companion of the kings. The, the king's companions that walk in that place. These are all most holy place promises. And so very quickly in closing. Very quickly. You go from Ephesus. Then you go to Smyrna. The church of division. Come on somebody. The persecuted church. You have to be an overcome in the time of persecution. Do you know if you read the kingdom constitution called the Mount uh, uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Do you know what he says to the persecuted church? He says, yours is the kingdom. But you have to overcome a time of persecution. You have to overcome the time when there's division. The wheat and the tares are in your midst. Be the wheat that bows its head before God. Don't be the tares that are hard-headed and refuse to bow. Be the wheat. You have to overcome. And it's a time of persecution. But the kingdom belongs to you. Then he goes from there. He talks to the church of Pergamos. And Pergamos means married to the world. You shouldn't be married to the world. You should be married to Jesus. Then he talks to the church of Thyatira. 
Thyatira had Jezebel in it. Jezebel, if you remember, she was associated with a kingdom. She rose up in a time of kingdom operation. In, the, in fact, in the kings of the Bible, she tried to replace God. She tried to usurp God's kingdom and set up her own kingdom. She fought the prophets of God, brought in false doctrine, and tried to set up a kingdom that wasn't God. And Jesus said to that church of Thyatira, you've got to overcome that spirit. Come on. Then he talked to the church of Sardis. He said, you've got a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You have to overcome that temptation to walk in a dead place. You've got a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You've got a name that you're Pentecostal, but are you really Pentecostal? You've got a name that you're apostolic, but are you apostolic? You got a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And then, come on. And then he said to the church of Philadelphia, come on. He commends them. He commends them. But there are certain things even in Philadelphia that had to be overcome. But he said, if you overcome, I'll make you a pillar in the house of my God. I'll put you in a throne room dimension of a temple type operation of God. And you will not go out. The church of revival, the church that's on fire, the church that hasn't denied its name, that hasn't denied holiness, is the church of Philadelphia. And then he talks about the seventh church, and I'm closing. To all these churches, he said, you're going to have to overcome to get there. Seventh church. He said, you're lukewarm. You're neither cold nor hot. You're content to be where you are. You're content to be lukewarm. And because you're comfortable with where you are, you have to overcome that spirit of lukewarmness. You can't ever get comfortable with where you are. You can't feel like you've arrived. If you ever feel that way, then you're lukewarm. He said, I'll spit you out of my mouth. It's to that, those seven churches, the seven daughters of the king. He says, come up here, overcome. Be intimate with me in a relationship. And from that place, in the chamber where I, mm -hmm, in the chamber of intimacy, I will produce a son. And that son is going to be a mature corporate man who manifests the son. It's going to be the son manifest through the sons of God. And that's what the earth is waiting for is a manifestation or an apocalypsis of the sons of God. But it's the son through the sons. And that's only in that dimension I'm talking about. And that's why in Revelation 12 you see that woman with child, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet. The church has moved from a moon type relationship, the woman, to a sonship type relationship as a corporate man. She's pregnant with a man child. And that's where God's wanting us to go. All right? But you have to overcome the things of the seven churches. And you have to hear everything that he said to them in order for you to get to that place. Because it's not automatic like you think it is. It's not automatic. But it is promised. It's promised to the overcomer. In fact, the church of Laodicea laid on a four square hill. But what the Lord's offering you is the Jerusalem of God you to be the Jerusalem of God 
which is a four-square city, which is a most holy place city. If you study the Bible, you'll see it's 10 by 10 by 10 in the tabernacle of Moses. It goes from that to 20 by 20 by 20 in the temple. And then in Jerusalem, it's 1,500 miles square. So it just keeps getting bigger and greater and greater and greater as it goes. So is the church of the living God to those who are willing to be overcomers. Let's stand. Father God, I give you all the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship today. <clears throat> I pray for this church, for this body, that there will be a spirit of revelation and understanding, the knowledge of the Lord. That we would grow up in Him or into Him, which is the head you are going to raise up a church of overcomers who are going to move in a kingdom type operation of God the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth as the waters cover the seas and I thank you today Jesus that out of that throne room flows a river a pure river and from that throne you make all things new I'm thankful today in Jesus' name for what you're going to do in this people, in this church. I desire to be there. Help me to walk in the things that I've preached to this people today, myself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> you can shut the cameras off. The last thing I want to tell you is that from a place of where you know God, that is what will cause you to want to know him more. Paul said this. He said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed into his image. Paul said that I might know him. Do you not think that Paul, this great apostle Paul, didn't know Jesus? Do you think he was saying, I don't know Jesus? No. From the place of his knowing Jesus, he said that I might know him. From where you know him now is, that's where you move from, to a place of knowing him more. Don't ever be content. If you look at Moses, Moses said, from a place of knowing God, he said, show me your glory. So from a place of knowing God, he went to know God on a higher level, the glory. With me here today, do you understand what we're trying to show you today? There's so much more of God than you or I have ever begun to invent. And right now is not the time to be the other side of those churches. And I'm saying the other side of an overcomer. Now is not the time to get passive. Now is not the time to get lukewarm. Now is the time from a place of knowing Him, moving into the greater move of God in your life. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Let me talk to you just a minute, okay? I'm through preaching, but I need to talk to you. <clears throat> you can't know somebody without a relationship. And you can't relate to somebody without communication. <clears throat> it's impossible. If you're going to know Him better from the place you know Him now, you have to communicate with him, which means you must have a prayer life. 
You don't have a prayer life. You're not communicating with him. And if you're not communicating with him, you don't have a relationship with him. And a prayer life is not going to Jesus and asking him for everything you want. I grow weary with that. I grow weary with that. God grows weary with that. You know why most people have so many prayer requests all the time? They want attention for themselves. I'm telling you the truth. They'll have you pray. Oh, Lord. Lord, uh, excuse me. Lord Jesus, I love you. I don't need to say, oh, Lord. But God, I saw a roach in my house. We'll have the church pray for that. <laughs> Just go and get you a big, big shoe. And go and kill it we don't need to have a prayer request about the roach you got in your house come on that's infantile stuff come on prayer is not always asking God for something that's infantile mama 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 daddy 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 mama 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 daddy 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 mama mama can I 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 how do you feel when they do that to you <coughs> you gave him a hundred dollars yesterday how can I have can, can I can I can I what I, uh -uh. so prayer communication is for relationship you communicate with God and commune with God, not because you always want Him to give something to you, but that you might know Him. That you might have a relationship with Him. That's what you're after. You get a dollar. What do you got? A dollar. You get Jesus. You get everything you need. Come on, let's grow up a little bit. Okay, that's a little practical talking to you there. You cannot move in that dimension I'm talking about without communication with Him. Because that's what makes a relationship. There's something much greater than sex. I know you have a hard time believing that. <laughs> oh boy, I shouldn't get on this subject. You know, there's two things you're not supposed to talk about in church. Sex and money. And I talk about all of them all the time. <laughs> Maybe I should reword this. <laughs> okay. Uh, marriage is not just about sex. Marriage is about relationship. Marriage is about communication. Marriage is about getting to know a person. Okay. Do you always want him to make you feel good all the time? <laughs> okay, I hear you right now. I'm stopping. <laughs> Goodbye, God bless, hallelujah. I guarantee you, you probably didn't hear that message I preached the first hour and a half, but you heard that last 10 minutes. That got your attention. I love you a lot, and God loves you. 530 prayer, hallelujah, in Jesus' name, y'all come, and let's have a relationship with Jesus, because that's what it's all about. There's nothing better. I love you. You're dismissed. <clears throat>